And based on that, unless you solve these problems, you can't have any biggest high five things like trustable, explainable AI. That's where the mm-hmm. big disconnects are. And I think what mm-hmm. I'm saying is not very different. It matches with a lot of people in computer science, but they don't have the frameworks or t- templates coming from the diverse psychological, social psychological backgrounds which are blended with computer science. Life is an endless stream of challenges, but no worries. Manoj is bringing the world's best minds right here for you. My gosh, Manoj, you just blew my mind. Thank you, universe. Manoj, thank you. I'm so grateful. Makes me feel a little bit better. Thank you. Bootstrapping Your Dreams is here to give you what you need to succeed. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal, and today we are going to have a very interesting conversation with Dr. Yogesh Malhotra. So Dr. Malhotra is the founding chairman and CEO of the New York-based global venture capital and private equity firm, Global Risk Management Network. He's also the founder of AIML Exchange um, and C4I Cyber and has a worldwide impact on global digital transformation practices. Uh, Dr. Malhotra is an MIT Princeton uh, industry expert, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, and Pentagon digital uh, pioneer and a leader in the future of finance technology risk uh, for over three decades. This has earned him a place among the R&D impact recognized AI financial Nobel laureates. His pioneering work in various fields of technology has impacted some of the biggest companies in the world alongside NSF, UN, US, and world governments. Dr. Malhotra is an industry pioneer in human-centered and meaning-driven artificial intelligence and quantum uncertainty, uh, time-space complexity practices, and has served as CEO, CIO, CTO, and CISO of global digital ventures and global client patrons. His uh, biographical profile has been selected for listing amongst the most prestigious global uh, references for of world's top leaders and achievers for over 20 years. Um, by Marquis, who's who, such as who's who in America, who's who in the world, who's who in finance and industry, and who's who in science and engineering. Welcome, Dr. Malhotra. I'm so excited to have you. Hey, likewise. I think that is a long introduction. I think, in fact, after my name, I had within quotes, quote, unquote, yogi. Therefore, mm-hmm. I'm just a yogi to most people around the world I've worked with over the last three decades plus. And awesome. I'm not very different from Manoj, your story or many others, your viewer stories. I'm just mm-hmm. one of you. I'm not much different. All of us are kind of creating learning together. And my mm-hmm. story is just like any of the people who coming from the background we come from in Asia are motivated to be engineers and doctors and having no clue about what to do and then end up doing with life what life throws at them and build something out of it. And we got plenty Absolutely. of people from all uh, places in the world who are in our same boat. And I'm mm-hmm. delighted to be here. Awesome. That's great. And uh, we are excited to have you. So why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and how did you uh, you know, end up here uh, making such a uh, huge global impact uh, with your knowledge, with your experience? How did it all start? I think uh, just like many of you, when you're in elementary school, you kind of wander to the school library and pick up some books. And that's where basically when I was in sixth grade, I picked up some book called Lateral Thinking, you know. It was by a person called Edward De Bono. Now, at that point of time in sixth grade, I could not have imagined that 20 years later, I'll be featured by one of the top publishing houses in the world amongst experts with Edward De Bono. It's a privilege, you know. But mm-hmm. the basic fundamental view from that point on is going beyond the binary logic. 
I think in computing, everyone is bonded about binary, zero, one, yes or no. And the book's title was, I think amongst many books I've read from the same author, Edward Nibono, was Beyond Yes and No Called Po. That's a story in sixth grade elementary school. If you're in elementary school, that's my story there. Okay. Nice. Going to high school, basically, I was, again, just like many of you, trying to figure out what to do, technology, science, medicine. And at that point of time, basically, the family wanted me to go into medicine since I came from a family of everyone in banking and finance. Uh, but the way things turned out, when I applied to the medical school, uh, the top two institutions in the country, they said, you are too young. Apply next year. They were the, the way the story turned out is basically I said, OK, what to do? And we had one of the elite uh, engineering programs, colleges back there uh, in my hometown, the capital of India at that time. And I said, let's enroll here. The fascinating thing I still remember until this point, we were kind of physics, chemistry, math was the logic at that time. And on 90.33 percentile, which I had that time, there were 10 different people. Therefore, the competition was intense from that point, but not much more intense if you're in high school and so forth. Therefore, going beyond the high school, uh, my some of my people, like in relations, they wanted me to go in civil services and they wanted me to prepare like a civil services servant. Therefore, I ended up as one of the finalists in the National Talent Science Exam competition. And I prepared for the civil services rather than the science uh, Q&A, which are cookie cutter questions. And uh, from that, I realized you need to kind of focus on different audiences. So coming from that point on, I finished my engineering degree. And by the time I finished that, I was working with one of the world's leading quality control organizations, a Japanese car company, which you might have heard called Suzuki Motor Corporation. Mm -hmm. And in India, it was started by the son of then Prime Minister, uh, I think Indira Gandhi's son, Sanjay Gandhi. And I was one of the early people who landed up as a, one of the production engineers, uh, process engineering person, building not only the cars, but also the assembly lines, the production lines for the latest models. After my day shift as an engineer, I used to sit on, sit on the company mainframes on the night shift. And at that time, we had mainframes running on two gigabyte. Now you mm. can put two terabyte SSD in your pocket, you know. But yeah. one of the top network companies coming from that point on. But while working there, I happened to read a book and a lot of people didn't have a clue why I was talking about CAD CAM. I was kind of way ahead in thinking about computing and AI. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. reading, reading a book called Fifth Generation Project, okay. uh, authored by a person, a US professor from Stanford called Edward Fagenbaum. Okay. At that point of time, when I was reading that book, I couldn't imagine 30 years later, I'll be interviewed for the chief scientist, the top Air Force science role in which Edward Fagenbaum had served earlier. Therefore, yeah. as you see from that point on, I finished my bachelor's. I went on to work with the global big three IT, global big three banking finance companies, building global financial systems used worldwide. And I was working across India, Hong Kong, and the USA. And my last project when I was planning to kind of, after I got married, we were planning to kind of uh, do my last project in USA. And we had a citizenship of Australia, go settle there. Now, at that point of time, basically, I didn't know that once I came to USA and my return tickets were there to go to Australia, I would not go to Australia 20 years, until 20 years later. Before I happened to come there, I got a great MBA research fellowship. And my mentor, basically, mentor, colleague, professor, senior colleague there was Dr. Renan Erickson. He was a Stanford IT or PhD, and he was one of the early Bell Lab scientists. But he is known as the father of Las Vegas digital revolution. And Las Vegas Review Journal covered about his story. And he was one of the co-founder CTOs, one of the earliest B2B billion dollar corporation. Now, while working there, having no clue about, uh, because I didn't plan to go for further studies. When I got an offer to go for the uh, top MBA programs, I opted not to go at that time. But here I said, okay, 
if I have to do this further, let's see what PhD looks like. And mm -hmm. one day I'm looking at a Business Week magazine and I saw this story about virtual corporations. And on that cover story, I said, what is this virtual corporation? This was just before the worldwide era happened. And while I was looking at that story, I got a phone call from a program that I had applied to. I didn't know this person then, but later on I came to know about him. He is one of the founders of what is known as the information systems field and the pioneer of information technology strategy. His name was Dr. Professor, University Professor William R. King at the University of Pittsburgh. And he called me up. I said, Yogi, what would you like to do? Now, this was just before the web browser happened. Okay. He said, I said, I would like to create something like this virtual organization. He said, come over here. Why don't you do it here? I'll end up doing a PhD in the top 10 PhD program. I picked up a lot of courses across multiple programs across Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon University, where I also taught a doctoral seminar on quantitative research methods, survey methods at that time. But the fascinating thing is while holding this PhD research fellowship, uh, and taking more than twice the needed credits for PhD, I just started playing with when the first beta version of the first web browser came out. If you have been there for so long and read about it, you know about it as Mosaic, you know. If you hear about Anderson Horowitz firm, which is a big VC firm now, Mark Anderson was a young kid like many of you are right now mm -hmm. in your first year, second year. And he was a very sharp guy from Urbana Champaign. And Jim Boxdale from Silicon Valley, he had kind of mentored him. And they became founders of Netscape. In fact, around that same time, there was a global competition of the top digital sites in the world. And while playing with this web, what came out of that became the world's top digital site ranked by Computer World, which I had built. Simultaneously, this particular uh, national US competition, which was called Carnegie Mellon IndustryNet Awards. Again, IndustryNet was another story. Founder of Lotus was basically who founded that. But basically in these awards, I, the technology I had founded at that time became the top three ranked search engine amongst many others. Now, along with that, at that point of time, I also was ranked amongst one of the early pioneers and Andreessen and Barksdale were also in the category, but I had the privilege of sharing that. Now, this was a kind of, again, a journey. I think people may say, how did you go where you go? I would say it's serendipity. That's what mm -hmm. I, I studied the definition of serendipity when I was taking GRE, GMAT, like many of them. Because that's the term which describes my journey. Going beyond that, by the time I finished my PhD, we had this company written world over. We had people like Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, talking about us on his website, on his books. And we had uh, Pricewaterhouse chairmen, uh, vice chairman and CKO, Ellen Knapp. I saw a fast company interview from her. And she said, this is a place where I go to if I need to know anything. So we became what would become the digital transformation. We were the pioneers of this tech, the term we coined, CEO Magazine wrote a story about that. And I also got interviewed by many of the publications, including Wall Street Journal, uh, CIO Magazine, Inc., Fortune, and so forth. But the idea simply being at that point of time, I didn't know what we were doing, but what we did while mm -hmm. happen, happening to advise companies like Arthur Anderson, what became Accenture founding partners, McKinsey Silicon Valley partners who flew me to Silicon Valley to guide and advise them. The Veterans Administration from the U.S. federal administration agencies, the U.S. federal government came to me, invited me to be a council partner for the U.S. Uh, federal agencies like best practices and knowledge management, and we became pioneer of that particular area. Therefore, we defined the BizTech integration, how the technology business integrate for creating digital enterprises, governments, and uh, large-scale enterprises. The next thing was how do we make it smarter? The knowledge management was the key paradigm. 
On that, we had companies like IBM quoting, citing me in 1997. In 98, Ogilvy, the biggest digital marketing firm, pitched IBM to us and said, take, it, take them on as a client. For that, we used a ad network, DoubleClick. DoubleClick would be the search engine, which would be later <coughs> by Google, which would again become a client just before the IPO. They had approached us. But we knew DoubleClick even going earlier. In an earlier time, when you had someone say, like in our case, you were a content, heavy content community driven enterprise. And we had people on that network stealing our content. We used to kind of pick up phones and call the founders, you know, and I talked talk to two founders, Kevin and Kevin of DoubleClick. And I said, guys, these guys are stealing our content, get rid of them, you know. Therefore, but now the net has evolved a whole lot. I think the point what I'm uh, focusing on was, I'm going to build this story going further. We're hearing a lot about decentralization, dApps and so forth. Now, that is the phenomena which started going back to the hierarchical models of firms, enterprises. But from the very beginning, born on the network, building the first global digital transformation network community of practice with millions of worldwide users, a community of more than 130,000 contributors, a team of 200 PhDs, which build the early practices based upon the world leading companies and enterprises. You know, we build these practices from the ground up. The question is what motivated us? I think it is the notion, I think, which I became familiar with at that time, which has guided us most of the time. And even now going further, we hear a term called human-centered AI. Now, I happened to, in 1995, call one of the pioneers. Uh, he was His name is Dr. John Holland. He's the person who's known for founding genetic algorithms. And I asked him, Dr. John Holland, he was at Santa Fe Institute, which is the hub of uh, complex systems, uh, physicists world over, uh, across various practices. And I asked him, how do you create these enterprises where we do not need humans? The dream of every person in IT, going back 20, 30 years, and even now, is that we can replace everyone in IT and humans will not be needed. And he guided me on something which made us focus on something which has been crucial to our journey. And he said, it is crucial to understand how information becomes meaning. Then he talked about the dynamics of the networks and so forth. But most of my PhD was spent focused on one question. I think which had no one had written thought about earlier, very surprisingly, which all of us know intuitively, that when you look at some data, like we are looking at data from the war going on right now, and we are seeing a lot of interpretations. There's a big gap between what you see and what you make of it and what you do with it. Mm -hmm. But those gaps had not been formally studied applied earlier. But compared to many academics, I was coming from an area of practices earlier. Therefore, I said, this is a big gap here. How do we understand it? And people like John Holland, I think we have many mentors in the sense we stand on shoulders of giants who have gone earlier, who are founders of many of these sciences systems and uh, uh, theories and uh, applications. Mm -hmm. But we stand on the shoulders of giants to build the future. And going from that point on, we had companies like Goldman Sachs, Google, IBM, Intel coming to us. And we said, wow, this must be something interesting to the world. We got written all over in all known top business technology publications. By the time I was finishing that, I was invited by Intel Corporation to guide... So Sorry, so let me let me let me just interject here. So so obviously you've had such a great uh, uh, you know impact, um, and you have such deep knowledge. In my in uh, if I can request on behalf of the audience, please. How can we use simpler words, maybe simple language to uh, describe it to the layperson? Uh, what exactly that you know? Uh, what exactly do you mean by? human-centered um, and meaning-driven artificial intelligence because you know uh, the the big names the big uh, the uh, the you know all, all that is awesome 
But so, I think the audience will like very, very like sure. simple terms where, you know, just treat them as like a fifth grade student. And sure. uh, yeah, so, so that will be more interesting. You are listening to Bootstrapping Your Dream Show with Manu Jagarwal. Businesses face numerous challenges like finding the right product market fit, determining the market size, implementing a winning go-to-market strategy, crafting customer-centric USP, competitive analysis, looking for funding, building up cash flow and profitability. We have made a lot of free resources available to the entrepreneurial community, including this podcast. podcast. We invite you to check out our websites and follow us on social channels. The links are in the show notes. We hope you find the resources useful and utilize them to grow grow your business. We also have some programs for entrepreneurs. If you find our content useful, then you will definitely find the programs outstanding so do check them out sure no fascinating great stuff therefore there are two views i will focus here one yeah, yeah. which talks to the top scientists who are guiding the future of disciplines like ai yeah, yeah and i'm going to tie it to a very simplistic notion which anyone whether it is a three years old or two years old can even yeah, yeah. exactly exactly yeah. and i think that's where we are going with it the first thing which many people in ai forget although programs like big name stanford are talking of human centered ai and we happen to publish the first paper in year 2000 followed by the big intelligences at that time like cia and nsa as i was told by some other people but what i was doing when i was trying to find how data becomes meaning and i found the work of a scientist he was a psychologist, geometrician, but he became interested in children's psychology. And the work which he did did not only become the foundation of AI, which is a human-centered AI at that point of time, but also created the biggest foundations of psychiatric understanding of distress, of sadness, and so forth. And based on his work, what I found is a lot of people was using tools and methods, but he talked very critically. All these theories belong to the wastebasket after some time after they applied. But the important thing is to understand the philosophy. And the philosophy in a nutshell of his whole work, which I studied tons of all his books, I interacted with all the authors, his collaborators worldwide across Australia, Asia, as a PhD student, trying to understand that one phenomena. How does data become meaning? And that was a human-centered notion of meaning. And the reason why that notion was important, because the computer scientists, uh, Claude Shannon, his, whose work underlies most computer science, cryptography, and so forth now, they, I was looking into that as a PhD student, I could not find anything which talked about human meaning. There we had machines like electrical circuits, all data had the same meaning, it was like a world of robots with no brains, no minds of their own. And this particular foundation, which is the philosophical foundation was, every human is a scientist. Mm-hmm. Now that's very foundational. The point here is that now that we have seen a lot of stuff about science in terms of normal science as practiced in academia, sciences, and more recently in the context of COVID, we have seen a whole caricature of what can be done with data science, data and science once they become politicized. I will not go into those details, but we delve deeper into those issues because the key point being, while starting in 1990s, everyone focused on data and the IT was basically data management, even now data science is pretty much what we were doing 20, 30 years later, earlier. The problem with data is simple. In early 90s, I was looking at the work of what this person was a dean in academia. He'll become the chief learning officer at GE, General Electric. And later on, I think I was asked to recommend someone for a CLO position in Goldman Sachs at that time. 
and i think this person this may be related he became a chief learning officer and one of the directors mds at goldman sachs but what we had done when i was a phd student i took one of his papers they wrote you know and when you connect the notion of every human is a scientist all of us are trying to find meaning whether it is a 3 year old kid or a high school saying like, what's the meaning of life i think even mm-hmm. nowadays if you look at current stories in bloomberg if you look at the last week's headlines uh microsoft ceo sadly he lost his 26 year old son to cerebral palsy another story in the last week in interactive brokers ceo whose children didn't want to have anything to do with his financial industry or his billions his son who is 30 years year old he is trying to find some meaning through the environmental sg which is the social responsibility now therefore i think the fascinating thing what i found despite increasing disparities economic disparities is everyone whether these people at the power centers trying to build or destroy or steal the world or whatever or create the world or scientists sitting somewhere trying to do something or the creators people who created yahoo anuj mm. sitting, me sitting there and everyone sitting out there meaning is what drive us and meaning is basically awesome. yeah. and, and the basic notion here is all our research in ai that a very common sense level has been focusing on cognition mm. which is called thinking machines but if you go back to the earlier work in the area of knowledge creation knowledge management one of the big influential persons coming from japan he wrote the book called the knowledge creating company which became the template for us to create a real world knowledge creating company before google to which google came to as a client before ipo and the so, notion that basically he was talking about the sense making and the role of social networks there the so, notion of very simplistic one simple last point all of ai doesn't matter what ai you have does not have common sense it can't make sense therefore it can't have any meaning and based on that unless you solve these problems you can't have any biggest high five things like trustable explainable ai that's where the mm-hmm. big disconnects are and i think what mm-hmm. i'm saying is not very different it matches with a lot of people in computer science but they don't have the frameworks or t- templates coming from the diverse psychological social psychological backgrounds which are blended with computer science i think does mm-hmm. that answer your question on Manu? yeah yeah so that's very interesting so uh, you know the meaning and purpose of life uh, you know people always are searching for and that has been the theme for humanity for a, for forever um are you saying that artificial intelligence and data science can help people find that meaning in their life i think if you look back i will relate to a, you know i saw your your interview uh, with the military general their fascinating story and i was very interested in seeing how deep they are into academics i thought only scientists like us are deep into academia but i also saw that you have written about tony robbins you know and i studied tony robbins work and his story when i was doing phd trying to answer this question and then one of his videos or tapes he talks about man search for meaning a book written by victor frankel yeah 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 a psychiatrist that book i read at that point of time he was sitting in these uh, the, the concentration camps where they saw everyone being killed and dying and they carried those uh, their kind of corpses and buried them yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. to, mm-hmm. and basically that book is one book i would recommend to everyone yeah absolutely the notion yeah. simply here is in the most and worst circumstances now this is tied to my foundational research models i built about mm-hmm. in digital realms like as you look in the social network social media right now what's happening there what is guiding is the meaning but when you look at all these things in the purpose look at what drives human behavior what de- drives their motivation commitment and that's where the work on self determination becomes very foundational critical and what i had found in winding this formal phd research 
there are very fascinating complex math models which most couldn't understand unless you dig deeper into that which i dug but what i found there were foundational flaws which we are seeing even right now in the current models we see at various places you might take some construct called voluntariness volition volition of your use and you can totally change it into not volition what person does on one's own but by compliance in the current war stories from the frontiers which is happening you can find plenty of stories on both sides yeah, where yeah. people they are driven into it they have identified the meaning so much they are willing to stake their lives for that yeah. on the other hand you are finding people who can't understand that meaning and they still try to figure out why the heck we are here doing what we are supposed to do which we should not be doing because we don't understand or make sense of what's going on the yeah. those things are foundational i think that notion of cognition meaning tied to affect affect is the notion of feeling most so, of my research kind of has thrown out these things and i think that's the linkage you define in the paper and notion of self adaptive system you have built in which we have led the world since then i think that's the concentration of all these things in human machine systems trying to counter the limitations of both as the world progresses was trying to make uh, create or build better uh, kind of minds using uh, smart smart minds using smart technologies smartly as i call it so interviews i've called it the notion here is smart minds means you need to have the right values the right frameworks to the ethics and what not technology is not going to do that for you smart mm-hmm. tools latest technologies smartly how you apply them do i think that answers your question which i think we started yeah yeah so so my next question will be like is there something practical that is available today that you know for example uh, we have a lot of business owners and we have a lot of startup founders in the audience we have a lot of executives uh, they always try to find uh, you know something practical something sure. that they can uh, uh, get from uh, our guests and they can apply it in their business in their life so what can they take away from this and and immediately start applying in their life or business sure i think let me address i think going back to the earlier global community which we created we had a common purpose meaning millions of users hundreds of hundreds of thousands of contributors and hundreds of phd's working together now we were not in any organization that was a network the current paradigm we are building of the next generation of those networks is through the air force research lab commercialization academy ventures now those ventures have become innovator as manu jai recently discussed with you through which there's a lot of innovation going on trying to bring these fascinating technologies which entities like darpa or defense had built into commercial practices uh mm-hmm. and in that sense basically we have created this venture called amr exchange okay. but the basic bottom line of that venture was do something epic save the world and i think if you look back two years what started the covid i think you can identify with that how we can save the world first is becoming aware what yeah, yeah, the phenomena yeah. is second is understanding what are the risks on uncertainties imposed across various paradigms of personal individual enterprises organizations nations and the world and mm-hmm. more recently we are seeing uh, is the nuclear war the button and so forth a big panic button of that if we look back at last 20 30 years we started working with the world's largest enterprises companies like microsoft pwc's mckinsey's google's intels and beyond that we were invited to work with the wall street trillion dollar hedge funds looking at the financial crisis post financial crisis therefore across all these things what we have found across things like enterprise computing healthcare systems computing in context of which i did my phd at the university of pittsburgh medical center working with the emr pioneers and subsequently in the silicon valley wall street where they are trying to still find the smartest technologies and they still can't figure out how the ai can give them a kind of a, a notion unless they have got insider information or some other privileges which they can have recently we have seen some fascinating stories like the gamestop reddit stories 
many of these ties to those same phenomena called self-determination. If you look at surveillance capitalism, uh, a term, a book which was recently came out from the author, her Shoshana Zuboff, she was a professor at Harvard long ago when I was looking at her work in early 90s. In fact, I presented some papers based on her work on self-determination where she was talking about the next era of capitalism. The question being right now, the AML exchange venture, which was created as a 30, as a MVP for the DOD-wide AML exchange enablement on the invitation of a Air Force Pentagon CTO, that MVP we have made available freely. Now, what we do basically as one of the earliest digital social entrepreneurs, I never planned to be an entrepreneur, but that's how life is. What life gives, you make the best and something good mm -hmm. comes out of it. You know, We have this latest digital social enterprise called AML Exchange. What it can help you do is three things which no other technology in the world we have found so far can help you do. Mm -hmm. We have been trying to see all entrepreneurs at whatever stage you're in life, whether you're in elementary school, high school, or whether you're retired or trying to do whatever, you know, mm -hmm. each of you, you want to do three things, basically. How can we know very quickly about some area, even if you do not have background knowledge? Based on our last enterprise, we are calling it knowing, knowing what's critical, where the world is going. And we kind of do not want to give you the, everything in the world. We focus on some specific things. We take all this noise and cut it out to very small. 1% is attention you need and you can cut off 99% noise. Okay. The building part is how you can take all these technologies and do something good out of it. You heard people process technologies. We have existing R&D, which has been applied worldwide in a real sense by the biggest to smallest companies. And there are people, I received an e email uh, two, three days ago from someone. And that person said, thank you for helping me. And I was still trying to figure out who this person is. Must be 20 years ago. I don't know. But I checked him up. He was in my network from LinkedIn where I also came. The idea here is all these networks we have, we are a collective. And I think a lot of people talk about uh, in the MIT review, recently they called Buddhist notion of AI. I'm not sure what that is. But the way I understood when we were kind of building the earlier knowledge creating company, which is a current digital social enterprise, which can enable you to save 90% time, effort, cost right now, right here. Just use the simple template out there. That simple template is based also, it's different. Although Google has been our client, Microsoft has written about us, but all of them are trying to figure out what we already have figured. Now, we will not give you some fa fancy technology. We don't collect cookies and track your information. We don't care. The idea is not to monetize you. But the idea is to educate, enlighten, empower, which has been what we have been all our life. Being a scientist, being a professor, being like Anuj, who's as excited about doing as with sharing and helping others do it. You know, that's the spirit which guides us. Because you can use this venture. There is also a presentation which I was called on to give to one of the top this uh, uh, global small business enterprise organizations, nonprofits. And basically, you can download that presentation. You'll find a link on top of that. What it guides you through is how to do everything. And a recent presentation also, which you'll find a link on one of the pages I'll share with Anuj at the last, is basically, if you look at everything in digital life, everything, we've been trying to see how to simplify this. Everything relates to three things, you know. And all those three things are basically have been transformed and we don't have solutions in the real world. First is search. And we're saying, why search if you can know? The important thing is not finding data, but knowing is basically doing something with it, applying it, seeing what happens and taking it further. That's a distinction. Okay. Second is about uh, from search to uh, one is if you can, uh, uh, I, I think I, I would reframe it. Search. Why search when you can find? The question is you're not trying to, if you go to a Google, Google asks you now, what do you want to ask? And you're staring at the blank screen. Okay. Uh, we don't do that. We give you a template of these are the key constructs. 
you want to drill, drill into BPR, where Harvard MBA program is an opted our content, you can drill down into that, read some things, and start working with it immediately. Now you want to go to build, we give you interfaces to tools and links there, which can actually drill into and start using data models, technologies. You want to do AI? And in fact, I think many of us are doing AI without realizing. Do you use iPhone? Do you use Google? Do you use any of the social media? The point here is in many cases, as consumers of AI, we have been doing it at all extents somewhere. Uh, the point is, think from that one on, then you start building, okay, how can I make it better, faster, cheaper? That's the notion of AI. And all of us, our focus basically has been in specialized domains. We are not trying to sell you data information cluelessly, but we are trying to see how we can help you make sense of stuff by not depending on technology alone, but helping you make be an active participant. Smart minds mm -hmm. using smart tools smartly. The question here is, we need to search, learn, work. These are three things which happen on technology everywhere. The question here is, why search if you can find? Question is, you, you do stare at a blank screen versus you go somewhere. You don't depend on one search engine. We give you 15 search engines, including a Chinese and Russian search engine. You can pick any of them. The key challenge is what you can trust, what you can click on, so forth. Okay. The second thing is learning. You have to advance beyond learning to knowing. Learning is you don't go to schools and courses, get this cookie cutter courses in silos. Our, all educational systems are sitting in silos. Our mm -hmm. Most organizations are sitting in silos, understanding how to connect all these silos. That's where the biggest weaknesses are. The biggest challenge is we need to understand because um, I mentioned about my uh, PhD professor. Uh, his advisor was a professor at Wharton called Russell Akhoff. Mm -hmm. When I was an MBA student long ago studying uh, about, and I read about his work, he made one observation which is very critical. And he said, in real world, managers solve messes. We don't have structured problems. Now, as IT people, we are taught structured design, structured uh, programming and whatnot. But having designed built systems most of my life across financial technology, healthcare and other domains, over the last 10 years, most of our focus going back to the financial crisis is how do systems fail? How do they break and how we can devise better systems? In fact, a lot of my work, which I think Anuj, Anuj mentioned, has been written about amongst the Nobel laureates in AI, quant, fintech domains, comes from that realization going back more than 10 years. Why systems mail? Now, that is relevant from two perspectives. One is how do we make them fail less? How do we mitigate the risk if they fail, have continuity of business enterprises? Those are key challenges now. But from a more critical perspective, as a person who is trained in the IT security, but not only from uh, defensive, but offensive side, last 10 years have been spent focusing on uh, in authorized darknets, we have authorization to break and understand why systems break. We so we are, we are. I, I just, I just wanted to interject here. We are getting over time. So can, uh, let, let's try to summarize it and and try to wrap it up. Sure. I think going forward, most people have to advance beyond structured design programming to understand why systems fail, because that's where we are looking at enterprise systems, the global systems here, the nuclear crisis, or when the AI, all the trillion dollar assets are sitting there, which can be shot in the Achilles heel because they have weaknesses out there. It is, and the, the specific terms we have coined, I think what you mentioned, quantum uncertainty. There are yeah. two pieces to that. Dynamic uncertainty, that means things change in ways which you can't predict going forward based on past data. That's where we've been working for last 20 years, 30 years. For last 10 years, we've been working on adversarial uncertainty. That means you might have a Tesla or whatever car you drive, but as a hacker, I can take your car and spin it 
if your ai controls you more than you can control based on that mm. i have kind of just for the fun of it has have issued a challenge to both elon musk of tesla as well as one of the pioneers uh, nobel prize winners at princeton where i've given many presentations of ai finance trading is a very fascinating guy and he was talking about ai how ai can be better in car driving based on the my own personal experience in driving these cars in the worst environment possible which this new york snowbelt weather gives to me i have come to understand that the notion of self driving it can be good in lab or sunny environments but for real world environments i think we have a long long way to go the mm. humans are more critical than ever before in handling smarter ais therefore the idea here is not to forget humans but stop dumping humans to make them swap to machines and stop yeah. over relying on technology by blindly relying on them therefore that's, that's the notion right. absolutely no i completely agree with that uh, statement so let's uh, uh, let's end at that high note thank you so much for uh, being with us today and sharing all this uh, information uh, you know i'll be honest like a lot of it didn't <laughs> i couldn't really understand because there was too much uh, but uh, but i i feel like uh, we are working on similar uh, similar lines where you know uh, we are trying to use technology to unlock uh, hidden human potential and trying to uh, accelerate the the growth and evolution of human race so that is awesome to see that these kind of things are happening thank you so much for sharing that now Lively. if somebody um, wants to uh, connect with you and they want to interact with you how can they do that i think there are some links i can share with you i shared aimlexchange.com yeah yeah then brint.com which is the new kind of foundation of the prior venture which started as a business researcher doing phd then third is c4i-cyber.com and beyond that uh, it is my first name last name yogeshmalhotra.com/bio.html on which you can download all my research at ssrn amazon pages and publication list in google scholar the idea is we give stuff away free hoping that all this stuff will benefit the world and we'll look back and say wow we all together did so great stuff together you know making this world a better place yeah, thank yeah, you yeah. absolutely thank you so much we will add, add some of those links to the show notes sure. thank, thank you, you so much thank you Have thank you bye Hey, I'm Sarah, producer of the Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. Your Dreams show. This episode has come to an end. Don't forget to check out the episode show notes for the links to the resources mentioned in this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Until the next episode, goodbye. Keep going and keep winning.